0: Hey, guys, it is Tristan with Nerd Newsian, News, and today on Ask the Experts, I have J.H. Williams, III, a man who took the comic book paneling to a whole new level, one we've rarely seen before, from Batwoman to Promethea. Your work has been beyond groundbreaking. Um, and in the characters that you created, such as Kate Kane. You made her what she is today. Oh. So how are you, by the way?
1: Oh good. 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 Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for having for coming on here. Um, what initially, going back, you know, years, uh-huh. got you interested in writing comic books?
1: Um, well, I mean, it first started off with, you know, being a comic book fan as a kid, you know, the typical, you know, I don't know. Reading whatever comics I got a hold of as a kid, but I was more focused on back then. I was more focused on the art rather than necessarily the, necessarily the stories. So you know, I would read comics all the time that didn't necessarily have a conclusion, or it'd be a part in the middle of something, because I was just more focused on looking at the artwork. But as I got a little bit older, uh. I Discovered a few comics growing up that kind of changed that for me to where I started looking at the, them as a, a form of story beyond just the visuals. Um, and that was Micronauts and Uncanny X Men when I was growing up. Um, really hit that home for me, and then I became excited in comics with comics as you know, a storytelling medium and branched out from there so i ended up you know discovering early on creators such as uh mobius and of course jack kirby um lots of european stuff some japanese manga you know i was discovering all that kind of stuff really early on um, and it kind of made me look at myself even though i could draw i always drew when i was young uh, I kind of looked at myself as like I didn't want to be just an artist. I wanted to be able to be a storyteller, and I kind of feel like, in a lot of ways, comic book artists, even if they never get into the writing shoes that I've, you know, managed to step into, they are storytellers. You know, they take they make it a visual uh, presentation of the story in con- conjunction with the text um so as i got more comfortable being a comic book artist i started thinking about more the kinds of stories i wanted to tell i guess i even was thinking about that before i became a professional comic book artist that there were stories i wanted to tell you know so and always kind of envisioned myself being able to be in the writing seat and in the drawing seat
0: that I, I totally get it. And in looking at your newest one, what was your I know Lands took you a long time to get to. But what yeah. did you what kind of inspired that storytelling, especially because we see a very different dimensional? It's almost longer form storytelling with a lot of it not necessarily coming from the from the bubbles. You know, it comes uh-huh. from the art. A lot of the story really does. What yeah. was your inspiration for that?
1: I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe because the concept that Echolands is, um, we wanted it to be an adventure tale. And adventure tales always are fast paced. But the best adventure tales tend to take place in worlds or scenarios that are uh, visually vivid. Um, And I mean, as an example, I mean, imagine if Star Wars was a comic book first. Right. Um, how much of that would be, how much of the story there would be conveyed in the visuals because the, the world of Star Wars was so richly detailed, right? So, and a lot of the elements of the Star Wars story are in those peripheral details. And so with Echolands, we kind of like, we knew that the world was so complex uh, that we were building, that I think if we loaded it with exposition, it would really bog it down and and not let the 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 adventure aspect have room to breathe. I guess you could say. Uh, and so we going in with the visuals, we wanted to make sure that on every page there was things that were representing the world, the unique world that this is taking place in and how much of the story uh, is in that, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah. I, and with that one, I kind of – I read it, and then I went back through it uh-huh. to kind of go back through some of the art and some of the things I may have missed in the background as compared to the foreground. Yeah. And there was there was a lot, um, yeah. which, which I usually go through pretty detailed. But when you have that level of world building – I think it's easy to miss some of the things. And I think that's what's so great about being able to go back.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also I kind of feel like if you're going to tell an adventure tale in a, in a brand new world, visually, I think every opportunity for, on the page needs to be taken in terms of selling that reality and selling that world. Um, and also the thing we were thinking about it dawned on me as we were writing it, how fast we shift scenes. Um, So when scenes shift so quick, you have to make sure from a visual standpoint that each scene has a certain level of massive, you know, massive information in it. You don't, you're not wasting a single panel. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because part for me, part of comics storytelling is selling the environment that the story is taking place in. And uh, so that was super important um, as we were going along. You know, there's very few panels in this book where we drop away backgrounds or anything um, because it's just, I I always feel like with the scenes shifts so quickly, it'd be, I think it would make people feel a little too loose when they read it. Uh, on where things are taking place and how rich the environment actually is,
0: and that's one thing that drew me to that book so much is because I read from every, I read from the big two, I read indies, I read anything, yeah. Yeah. and and you don't see that anymore. You don't see the different paneling aspects that you necessarily use, even in Batwoman. You don't see that. I don't know that anyone's necessarily a bad artist. I don't mean that. Right. I just mean it's your typical formatted comic book. And right. this one really took <laughs> a completely different direction. And, and if you can do will world building without yeah. saying a word about the world, you, yeah. you can really, really sell the book. I absolutely love it. So I want to talk about your creator, uh, your characters that you created. Um, some one specifically was um they had their own short-lived solo series, right? And it's not always guaranteed that these Creator, these characters will last. You co-created yeah. Chase, specifically at DC Comics, right? Which is a character that did succeed. And I just wanted to ask how it feels knowing that your character struck a chord with not only readers who enjoy her, but peers who continue to see her. We're even seeing her used throughout Infinite Frontier coming out right now.
1: Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, I wasn't aware of until this oh, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, when the whole situation with chase, you know, getting canceled, uh, just as we were hitting our stride, I mean, that was sort of like a, that was a tough blow f- for us, especially cause at the time we were actually already working on the, the next arc, um, which was going to be a four parter involving the justice league. And that's so
0: cool.
1: Yeah. And it was, uh, we, I think I drew seven pages of it when we got the news that they were going to cancel the book and to stop work. Um, it was so disappointing because the, there was starting a buzz was starting to happen. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, by that point we're roughly 10 issues in and with the buzz happening, um, a little bit late i guess you could say it just it, it didn't come in time that buzz didn't come in time and so it was kind of a little frustrating knowing that we were going to be canceled just as we were starting to get some attention uh, and we me and uh, my co-author on that uh, dan johnson we both feel like if we had gotten that just another 4 issues to do that justice league arc we may have survived Oh, yeah. You know, because things were starting to take off. But what's super interesting, because of that buzz, Chase became sort of like this cult series that became more popular after it was dead. Uh, And, you know, I hear from people all the time how much they love Chase. uh, And therefore, I think other creators, I think, liked her too. And that's why we're seeing her crop up in in other other books. I mean, granted there is a little bit of a formula involved in some of the production o- over at uh, DC or Marvel. I believe there are copyright laws involved in that. Any character IP that they have, I think they have to have some sort of usage every five years.
0: Oh, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I, I think, I think, So, so some of the her cropping up, you know, I think the writers that are are getting the chance to play with the character enjoy it, but I don't know if it's always their decision, or if it's a suggestion coming from editorial because they need to hit a certain mark. If that makes Uh, sense,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Unfortunately, that means we'll probably see some more Watchmen popping up soon or
1: something. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Oh
0: geez. So, what was it like when you worked with um, just uh, Chuck Dixon? On the Justice League uh, Raiders Elseworlds story, it must have been so fun drawing that project. Like drawing the Justice League in that Western setting, yeah. I absolutely love it. Oh yeah, that
1: was that was a super fun one. I, um, there's a lot of stuff in there that I did that I like, uh, but there's some there's some things now that, you know uh, that I wish I could have done slightly differently. But as a concept, I think it was really cool. There was a lot of people that really wanted to see a follow up to that.
0: uh, Oh, yeah.
1: A sequel of some kind. Uh, And people, you know, still uh, remember that one, which is kind of interesting when you think about the Elseworlds titles on how many actually do get remembered. I don't think it's very many. So uh, it's pretty cool to be among the ones that do.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like that. And maybe. Vampire Batman and Injustice. Those are or Red Sun add in there. But yeah, there's a lot of them, but those are some of the greats. So before I go into my next question, I gotta ask Alan Moore. Uh-huh. Insane or intelligent?
1: Oh, intelligent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew the answer, but he's always popping up every few years, being mad at Western comics. And I'm just like <laughs> I, I I totally get it. I get it. They they did a lot of DC did a lot of crappy things. And you I mean you should yeah. know that, but um, you've worked with three of the greatest from the British Invasion era, right? So yeah. Alan Moore on Promethea, Grant Morrison, yeah. and then we had Neil Gaiman on Sandman. So many people know their differences. They're clearly different writers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do they have any similarities that you can tell us about?
1: Um, I guess the biggest similarities are just how much all of them are aware of comics history um, and how much of them have a love for comics history. Uh, the probably the other thing I would say is all three of them have, even though they have, um, they all have a rich sensibility that they share. Yeah. Even though that they have a diverse way of conveying it, um, uh, so they're all very interested in how much how much can be mined out of a story, uh, and they uh, all look at it from a different point of view than a lot of than what you would expect. I guess you could say, right? Yeah.
0: What was it like working with them? Kind of some of the biggest names that came out of that era.
1: Um, It's extremely gratifying. Uh, You know, having those opportunities was uh, something I never expected. You know, and even going back and when I look at the early stuff of Promethea, the, some of the stuff I was doing, I, I still don't quite know how I got that job. Uh, considering the, um, the, the level of talent Alan had already worked with. Um, I think my early stuff on that could have been better. Uh, but what was great about it is I think maybe Alan could see how, just from our conversations, how much I'm willing to try anything. And so if he was willing to jump off a cliff for something, so was I. <laughs> you know, and I think that went yeah. a long way In in Promethea becoming what it did He knew that I would be up for any challenge And um, so it was kind of like this cool little push and pull uh, Creative relationship about You know, what, what could be accomplished, you know
0: um, and, and then also we talked about Elseworlds just a few minutes ago, you mm-hmm. technically kind of, you know, and your son of Superman Elseworld created yeah. John Kent. Um, when it comes to how he is in the comics now, they aged him up, right? And he is pretty much your creation. Is that something that happens in comics uh, um, often, I guess I would say, because even though you're not credited, you did in an Elseworld story create that character.
1: Yeah, I mean... Um I hadn't really thought about that. I didn't even realize how much he was John Kent was being used now. Um there's a lot of, a lot of current events stuff I end up missing a lot of things. Oh yeah. Um so yeah, it, it's interesting that they're using him uh maybe that's something I should talk to them about about
0: Yeah, he's Superman right now.
1: I see you know, they're probably viewing it as, um, because it was a Elseworlds they're probably viewing it as something that they don't need to say it was created by so-and-so because the version that they're doing is different. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I doubt they're even crediting Howard Chaykin on that too. Um,
0: for- and David Tishman.
1: Right. That's right. So, but it's interesting, you know, that's the thing with corporate comics is it's so complex about the how the IP is controlled. Um, and so it's always a guessing game when you're working on stuff for corporate comics, how much you're going to get out of it, uh, how much will be acknowledged. Um, And they kind of make you go through a process too. So like if you're, if you create something for them, a new character, they don't just automatically give you equity in that character. Uh, You kind of have to ask for it. You have to go through a process. Oh, wow. Um, It's kind of, I appreciate this is going to sound a little sticky, but I appreciate that they are, are that they will share equity to creators and characters that they create that exist within the DC universe um, that we've gotten to that point where that happens. But what I don't like is some of the process that they make you go through to obtain that. So they don't just automatically give it to you. So if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Um, That's a shame. Yeah. And I mean, I don't understand the reasoning, why they have to make it so difficult. But what's funny is, so like as an example, after the fact, uh, I I went through and made sure I filed for equity on a bunch of characters that I uh, created or co-created. And you have to fill out this paperwork and write down the information about the character, where they first appeared, Why you feel you it's yours to to claim? But then the thing that's really funny is that they want you to attach uh, uh, images of the character to this (laughs) document, and and I'm kind (laughs) of like, what? What? (laughs) You have (laughs) (laughs) comics, so it's like this weird little hurdle that they have you go through, and I don't understand that part. That's like, it almost feels. I don't want to sound uh, bad about it, but it feels a little like, really? Why are you making yeah. this? You know, it's uh, it's bizarre. But in some ways I think on a logistical front, they publish so much stuff that I think they would have to probably pay a, a whole set of personnel to keep track of all the content that was cr- newly created on a monthly basis of new, like new characters to kind of keep track of what, uh, who did what and, and what who owns what or deserves equity and what. Right. Um, so I guess possibly from a logistics point of view, putting some of the burden on the creators possibly is maybe more helpful. Uh, to, for them to to have um, tracking that information, I guess.
0: Right, I guess that makes sense. They're protecting everybody in the situation, sort of.
1: Yeah, I just the, I just don't know how they. Just, what's where it gets a little sticky on a corporate mentality aspect is they just don't come forward and you know your editor on whatever project you're working on, you create you know villain A. Uh, they don't come forward to you and say, Hey, you should file equity paperwork on this character you've created here. They don't offer that. They don't come forward with that information.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So you have to be a little bit uh, looking out for yourself a lot in that and think about the heavily, think about the business side of that kind of stuff.
0: Oh yeah. You definitely got to be proactive because that wouldn't be fair. in so many, so many situations with characters you've created. So I have to ask, (laughs) back during the Brad uh, Meltzer Justice League of America run. Mm. He started things off with that zero issue that had various artists doing classic era of the Trinity um, and also once in the possible future. Your page was the Trinity fighting Lex and he was shouting, he was my son. (laughs) Do you have any context to that? Did Brad ever tell you or was it just a kind of no. mystery we'll never know no <laughs> so, I wondered because it's like it, who was your son like it just it'll be something that I forever think about so when it, comes to, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> when it comes to Batwoman um a lot of what's been explained to me and I've kind of explained to people is that when Kate Kane was to be introduced during 52 it was made clear that she would be a lesbian, and the media uh, kind of jumped on it, started to yeah. claim her as a lesbian superhero, as yeah. opposed to a very distinct, different description as a superhero that just happens to be a lesbian.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: DC kind of quieted down, let the media die down, and then released it after the RIP and the battle for the cow. Is there any truth to that? Because that's always the story I've heard.
1: Um, I don't know if there was uh, a. Uh, internal decision to have a gap between that media outburst uh, and the launch of the character. Um, I think a lot of times from my own experience working with uh, corporate comics at DC in particular has a tendency to announce things before they are ready. Right. Um, uh, that I, so I think that was a prime example. It was not done well in the fact that they put the uh, upfront um, promotional detail of being lesbian then then character was kind of dumb instead of character. Oh, and by the way, she's, she's exactly uh, so that I thought was really dumb. So it feels a little salacious, like a kind of a uh, kind of a cheap ploy, right? Uh, Tactic to draw attention. I don't know if that part was on purpose or if it was somebody just not thinking about how they were phrasing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they the publishers when they're excited over something, DC as an example, when they're excited over something, they tend to announce things before they're actually ready. So like you know, or even solicit things before they're really should be. You know, *Sandman* Overture was a good example of that, where they were soliciting issues before we were ready to have them come out. Um, oh my goodness! And that's why that whole one of the reasons why that whole six-issue run took so long to to get finished, because you know we were barely into issue one when they were soliciting it. <laughs> so it's oh like, my god! You know, and I had to explain to them, you know, Neil Neil he takes the time he he takes does what it's his magic right that's how he does what he does
0: exactly But
1: but for me you know they wanted i don't know what they thought they knew who i what my how i operated before going into it uh but yet they still were compelled to uh to solicit when i'm telling them it's not going to be ready and um they kept wanting, I don't know. I think they thought, oh, he'll magically get faster.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, no, it's going to take me as long as it takes. I'm not going to, especially on a Neil Gaiman story, some, especially the way they were promoting Sandman Overture uh, as possibly being the last Sandman story ever. There was no way I was going to try to just cram that stuff down, you know? No. so Yeah. Yeah. So that,
0: so that, yeah, that was a mess. Oh my goodness. Some of the things that DC did, you was a mess. Speaking of a mess, (laughs) that's a good segue. (laughs) Um, The events that led up to you and Hayden black men leaving that woman were pretty well known. Like you guys left because Kate and Maggie couldn't get married and DC refused because Didio didn't think superheroes should be married what plan do you, were you able to talk about the plans? That, didn't you actually have 25 drawn at that point or at least started?
1: Um, we had trying to think of where we were in production. I know we had us, I think we had scripts written or at least started to be written. Yeah. Uh, but we did have an outline that we had gone over with editorial. Um. There's a little bit of a misconception about the events that led to us departing. It wasn't the, the marriage thing became kind of the hot button focus. It had more to do with, uh, editorial interference in general. Wow. Um, because that was just one big piece of it. Uh, but there was other things that we didn't cite in our, in our, uh, resignation um, that you know played a part in that. There was other things that we had planned that we were a- already working on, and then editorials coming in and telling us we couldn't do it when we had a-, a big plan and everything we were writing was building up to that big plan. And no longer could we do the big plan. And um, so there was a few little things here and there where there was like this bizarre editorial interference at the last minute. And we don't, I guess, to to put it in a better way, as writers, we don't mind editorial input on things, but it becomes very difficult and stressful if you're getting that input at the last minute after you've already things up in prior storylines leading to a particular thing. And that just becomes, we just, it just became intolerable at that point. The marriage thing became a hot button focus for obvious reasons because the whole situation was a uh, little—it wasn't good. I mean, it—it wasn't, and the whole yeah. I just—it's hard to talk about about it without becoming too detailed on the information. Oh, I understand. Um. Uh, But the situation just wasn't good. We had certain conversations that I'll say that made us feel like, well, there's no reason why we couldn't pursue that storyline. And then we were told that we could only pursue that storyline up to a certain point. Uh, And the excuse was, you know, none of our characters can ever get married yada 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 but there was other things involved in some of those conversations that were gave us pause um and so you know that that weighed on us heavily but we were willing to kind of play the game to see where it would go and hopefully some decisions could be changed or uh we could change minds as we as we went along because that's one of the things with editorial at the big two companies is that they, you, sometimes they will change their mind on something. Right. Um, So that's sort of what we were doing. We're kind of writing it out to see where it would go and hope, hopefully be able to change their perspective over time because the storyline we had planned was going to be a long one anyway. Um, before, they, before the characters were to get married. Uh, but then other circumstances came up with other editorial decisions that kind of, where we were like, okay, we can't, we can't even deal with this. The the horrible part was when we resigned, we actually resigned internally first uh, before we put the a resignation letter made public. We sent it off and didn't hear from anyone. My goodness, which was really strange, and you know, time a week went by, and we're not getting any. No one's talking to us, and so we're like, well, we're just gonna say, you know, this will be our last issue for X, Y, and you know, for whatever reason, and then, then we didn't even get to finish that part. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. The, <laughs> the crazy fun part is. Uh, we actually had the next arc. we had a shorter arc planned. And the crazy part is we were going to have, uh, Bilson Cabbage for a couple issues. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It was all, all set up. I had been talking to him. He agreed to do it. (laughs) And then, and then I had to give him the phone call and say, uh, (laughs) no. <laughs> that's so.
0: such a shame dang dc messes i mean don't get me wrong a lot of they it seems like they need editorial staff more now than ever because everything's a mess but they, they've messed up a lot of really good runs nobody would have have kate Kane would not have the popularity that she has right now without youtube there's no way possible
1: yeah i mean i thank you for saying that uh I, you know, Hayden, and I would love to to believe that's true, but you just, you never know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like to uh, necessarily say, oh, yeah, we're, we're the guys responsible for uh, how popular something is, you know.
0: Right, <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> I understand. So humble. <laughs> Did you um, ever end up reading like the continuation from Mark and Draco or see how the loose threads were kind of tied up?
1: no not really i i heard from various uh fans in the readership um that would talk about it here and there right but i didn't i didn't want to read it uh for the same reasons why i couldn't read um uh chase's other appearances
0: i understand
1: it sort of like becomes one of those things when you're so close to something not and not to dog those other creators i mean that's that's the important part i don't want to dog those other creators it's but when you're really close to something, it's hard to read it. Read someone else doing it without um, having a, a biased perspective.
0: Right, and it's a little bit heartbreaking so. too.
1: Yes, very much so. Very much so. It, it, yeah. It's funny too because I've they've I've had opportunities here and there where they've called me for you know, to see if I would do a, a Batwoman cover or something that she's going to be on and they want a cover focused on her and they want my take on, on her for that cover. And I have to tell them no, <laughs> you know, because it's just, it's too much. I just, I can't look at it without feeling uh, too much emotion. So I,
0: I totally understand That's, that's so sad that it really, really is. Um, I know. I I think I probably know the answer to this question, but a lot of what was done in the TV show was taken from your runs. Did mm. you ever check that out? Did you ever look or you know watch the show to see their interpretation of your work?
1: I tried watching some of it, but it, it was hard. I, I couldn't get past it. Um, part of it, of course, my own personal bias issues, but I I. I before that even came on, there was a lot of the DC TV stuff I had a hard time watching because I just didn't care for uh, yeah. how, how it was done. Like the quality of it bothered me. Yeah. And so, um, uh, and I felt like, you know, Batwoman, the TV show had more of the same kind of issues. One of the things that was peculiar is some of the changes that were made. Uh, I was surprised at, but this, you know, uh, and so when you see that sort of thing, you kind of have to divorce yourself. Like, well, that's the TV version.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, the
1: TV versions not, not the same. Uh, but it, it was, it was funny because Hay, Hay and I were talking. We we're like, oh, they're using, you know, they're using the murder of crows uh, thing. And I and I had to tell him like, no. I said, if you watch it, it's actually not our murder of crows. It's a it's a security firm that's different enough from what our take is that it's not ours, our creation. So don't, don't sweat it.
0: Yeah. There was so like, I I only got through two issue or two episodes and there was so much different. I loved Batwoman. I loved your run. Like the, I I, the allergy run. Oh, but going from that to the TV show, there is, Oh, I guess the best the nicest way to say it is such a drop in quality and it feels almost like a in name only character to me. I'm like, uh, you know what, I'll just read back issues. I'm good. I'll just read back issues. That's what they're there for.
1: <laughs> um it, it's, it's kind of it's a bit disappointing in the fact that particularly because they're dealing with uh a character like Kate Kane, you know, this hero who happens to be a lesbian that exists in the Batman universe. You know, I, I just feel like I wish the, the show could have had more. um I don't know, I guess more care with it. i maybe. Yeah. I a little more nuance. Yeah. It's hard to quantify. I don't, you know, I don't want to make the, the writers of that show. I no, I totally get it. But I just kind of feel like, Uh, it's a bit disappointing because it could have been a really huge thing, uh, particularly for the gay community to have a character like that on a, on TV. And I almost feel like maybe it was treated or felt like, Oh, this is just a given. This will be popular because just because of these, uh, these details rather than making sure those details really sing. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Was actually I didn't get to the chance to really work on hardware much. I um, I did like a a pinup thing of hardware, but the thing I did over for Milestone before Deathwish was uh, a little bit of Blood Syndicate instead. Oh,
0: okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I must have been mistaken.
1: Oh, that's um. okay. You you probably had seen the hardware uh, uh, pinup thing that I did. Uh, that might have been in that milestone forever thing or that's
0: probably exactly what it was. So yeah. last question I'm going to bug you with today because I am more DC than any other on my channel, especially you've come back to DC doing a story for Batman black and white. Yeah. Is there any more DC work coming your way in the future or is it something you're going to focus on echo lands or, you know, focus on your own thing at this point?
1: Um, at this point, mainly uh, Echo Lands. Um, DC's asked me to do a couple things here and there, like a cover here and there, that I just I couldn't. I just didn't have time for. Uh, one of the main reasons why I did the Batman Black and White was for the editor who was behind the project, uh, Andy Curry. Uh, oh
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I met him years ago. Always liked him. I think he's an interesting guy, uh, has uh, a great editorial point of view. And so when he asked me to do it, I thought it was like, well, let me think about it. If I'm going to say yes, it's only because he's the one asking. <laughs> me.
0: Well, that's a shame. <laughs> that's a sh- not a shame in your part, but it's a shame that DC got rid of him and he's got that pull. I,
1: yeah.
0: it, it, that's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say too much, but they're just a mess right now. <laughs> Um, I love it I love it but they're they're making some crazy decisions.
1: You know, uh, the only other thing I have on its way from DC is they're planning on putting out uh, a Batwoman omnibus. Um, oh. Yeah, which is going to be I think everything all the way up through I can't remember. I wonder if it, I can't remember if it has elegy in it or not. I would hope so. Yeah. I think it has everything all the way up to the conclusion of our run. So the whole thing is, I think all of it is in there up until they tried to kind of refresh the character. Um, and then uh, I don't know if they've even made this. I, I'm so out of the loop on new announcements <laughs> from some of the publishers. I, I have no idea if they've even talked about this yet, but I guess they're planning um some poster books.
0: Oh, okay. I don't
1: know if I'm speaking out of turn, but they're doing a poster book on some of my covers.
0: Oh, that's cool. I know they've done those in the past for other artists. That's awesome. I'm so glad they're doing one for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, And I was surprised that they would actually uh, do one on my stuff because it's not like I'm necessarily known for doing a bunch of covers over there. Right. Um, so that was that was kind of a fun process because well fun and difficult because I had to go through and look at all, all the various <laughs> covers I've done on on series and try and narrow it down to twenty pieces.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that yeah. would be hard.
1: And uh, but the the result is pretty cool. I wanted to make sure I got some eclectic choices in there that things that people might not even remember that I did. So like I got the American Vampire. Uh, variant oh, cover. Oh, yeah.
0: I forgot about that.
1: Uh I Put that on there. A uh, few things like that. So hopefully people end up digging that. But as far as new um stories or interior work, probably not for a while.
0: Oh, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll follow you on echo lands. I love it. I cool. can't wait to see Thanks. more. So Thanks. I want to absolutely thank you for your time. This is, so humbling. I'm I was so excited when you said yes. I really, really appreciate it. And oh. make sure everybody, uh make sure you guys check out Lands. I'll put the link to the to buy it on the pinned comment. I will see you in the next one. Bye bye.